0: You're listening to a podcast from www.aussierwriters.com.au where we celebrate talented Australian writers and their books.
1: Here we are at the Jugeong Writers Festival and I am absolutely delighted and thrilled to have Paul Daly here. Uh, Many people will know Paul Daly. He's an award-winning journalist. I believe he's the recipient of a Walkley Award. Two. Two. Oh, excuse me. That's all right. (laughs) And um, he's just released his latest political thriller, Challenge, which we will talk about. But I'd like to go back, Paul Daly, to your school days. Mm. Where did you go to school and did you have an amazing English teacher?
0: Yeah, I did have an amazing English teacher. I went to um, secondary school at Xavier College in Melbourne, so a... uh, a private um, Catholic boys' school, pretty strict, um, but the Jesuits, being educationalists, they sort of encouraged the um, the kids who were creative. Uh, so I was good at um, I was good at English and art, creative art. Um, and I did have a fantastic English teacher. Her name was Trish Thompson, and she's still there, and she teaches guys these days. And, and as it happened, I had a I have a 28-year-old daughter who is going out with a bloke who she also taught, and, Isn't that and amazing. inspired this him. Whole yeah, world. yeah, <laughs> it is. It is.
1: I think sometimes we, we we need to pay tribute to our English teachers. Absolutely, because you get a bad one, and
0: it's um, it can wreck you for life. I absolutely, think,
1: yeah. absolutely. So so, tell me, when you left school, were you a writer from the word go, or did you experience some other things
0: first? Um, I was always a writer in the sense that I, as I grew up I kept journals, I wrote, I really enjoyed the writing that I had to do for English assignments and that sort of thing and for history and everything else. I wrote poetry really badly which I, I didn't um, persist with when I was at university. Of course I, I, just, I did a Bachelor of Arts degree so there was a lot of writing involved and I did my own not very good or focused, I've got to say, creative writing. Um, But yeah, I I have always written and um, I decided that I wanted to write for a living and the best way to do that was um, at the time to get into journalism and I thought that would be a a step to the more creative sort of writing I wanted to do. Uh,
1: Your writing is really um, making a statement and, and uh, it's, you know, I know you were a political correspondent yeah, for a yeah, while, yeah, um, yeah. but I was moved by that uh, first book that you put out about the, the war that wasn't mentioned in the, in the Australian War Memorial. Can you tell us a little bit about that,
0: that book? Oh, the, the book Bathsheba. Yes. Yeah, sure. I mean, that, that was a, a seminal battle in um, 1917 in mm. the Middle East, in Palestine, in what's today um, Israel and it involved the Australian light horse charging the... Um, the the seminal moment of the battle was the Australian light horse charging the Turkish trenches. And it, had, it has been kind of eulogised and mythologised in Australian history, but we don't recognise it or talk about the Middle East actions in the same way that we do about Gallipoli and the Western Front, for example. So I really... I wanted to write about it. I wasn't too sure what the book was going to be, um, so I spent a lot of time there, and I decided to tell the story of the story, how this story has been adopted by different groups—Israelis, Christians, Australians—what actually happened. So I wanted to recreate it, where it played into um, Australian mythology of the, you know, the, the noble, courageous Bushman on, on horseback, for example, and. What also happened with with these guys, and you know some of the some of the blokes who were in the, the battle, if not the charge of Bathsheba, um, they really committed what was a war crime just after the war in Palestine they massacred um, an Arab village and uh, and also a Bedouin village killed over a hundred hundred guys so to me this was all about examining the complexity of you know, morality and war, but also the complexity of myth, if you know what I mean. We don't yes. like to tell those those negative stories. It's the
1: stories that are not told, yeah. that, that need to be told. And I, I was talking to Peter Rees this morning, yeah. and of course with his, sure. the nurses, it's the same thing, it's the untold stories yeah, that really need a voice.
0: L- look, it is, yeah, and and you know, that's something that's inspired me, and it inspires me as you know, a journalist and a columnist these days are write for The Guardian, which has a big Australian but much bigger UK audience mm-hmm. and global mm-hmm. audience. Um, and I tell and stories... really good quality writing, that makes Yeah, sense. no, it's, it's great. And uh, I tell stories about Indigenous Australia... And, yes, there and was
1: a very, very powerful story you told to do with the bones that really right, it, yeah. it, it ran shivers up my spine. Yeah. Tell us about that one.
0: Yeah, a terrible Australian history that we don't really talk about, which is about you know, the, the frontier conflict or war. I call it war because I think it was a war right across this continent between um, uh, between first Australians and the settlers and soldiers that came afterwards. And, you know, the anthropologists came in on the back of um, of all of that destruction and collected body parts, indigenous it's body realist, parts. Isn't it? It, it is, really. for, and there was there was a massive industry in it for um, mm. medical schools and, and stored in the
1: archives or somewhere. What, what, yeah, what? well, there's still
0: 700 bodies in the warehouse in Canberra, um, and that sounds pretty sinister. And it. It, it it is a sinister kind of um, reflection on the past. Although they're there because the National Museum is charged with. Repatriating them, taking them home, finding them country. Wow.
1: So there is some, so some redeeming. There, future, there, but...
0: there is, but it's a very, very um, dark chapter in Australia's past, and it's one we don't talk about. So that's that's the sort of story I like to tell.
1: How did the War Memorial respond to that book?
0: To, to, that, to Um yeah. the War Memorial was fine about it because they. Most of the documents that I was able to tell the story with, I, f- I found in the War Memorial. So, oh, right. so the War Memorial yes. sort of serves this function of having, being a national memory like, yes. like yes. all of those archives do. Yet, that said, they do have a fairly sing- singular view about the way the Anzac legend should should be portrayed. But um, it wasn't the War Memorial that was upset about it. It was the RSL and a lot of um, right. groups who yes. are connected to... Um, the old regiments. Um, mm. So, you know, I received some pretty threatening emails and, and, and letters, and I was told that it was seditious, really, to sort of. Really? And I was told I fabricated it, too, which is obviously right. not the case.
1: And and how do you how do you respond to those sort of challenges? To you, do do you see that it's your duty as a as an author and a journalist to to expose untold stories?
0: I do. Um, you know, I see it as a. It's a duty really through my journalism, my long form non fiction and, and now my fiction to tell stories that um, I think need to be told and, and I guess
1: but you're on the razor's edge, aren't you? Because there there is that fine line and, and um, you know, how do you how do you tread that razor's edge line between, uh, between Yeah, you know uh, telling I mean... a story and and crossing that line.
0: You know, in Australia, you know, we're we we're, we're pretty lucky. No, no one has, you know, launched a jihad on a on a writer here, no. um, like you know, Salman Rushdie and and, yes. and others have had to had to put up we that sort of thing. We have extraordinary
1: freedom. We it's do have extraordinary yeah. freedom of, of expression, we should and, and appreciate
0: we it. should appreciate it and not abuse it. But um, but I I guess in my personal circumstance, I've had a fair bit of training as a journalist to sort of steel me to any sort of backlash that, that might come over the controversial stuff. It's really interesting that the negative feedback about the stuff I write about indigenous Australian history when it connects to the frontier and colonial settlement, most of that comes from within Australia. The The British reaction to it is, hey, we've got to talk about this more. Thank you for doing this. You know, we colonised your country and this is what we did. We've... This is really important. That's stuff. really interesting. Isn't it is, it? it is. It's
1: a really interesting thing. Um, I'm leaning towards your uh, political thriller challenge here. Yep. Um, but before we go there, can you tell me about your Walkley Awards? Two. <laughs>
0: Two, yeah. Um, one happened, gosh, it was in the late 1990s when I was a um, political writer for The Age newspaper and I exposed the uh... corrupt practices in history when it came to the abuse of public entitlements by a senator called, a Labor senator called Mel Colston. Now Colston had defected to the um... uh... to the benches so that the government could, uh... rely on his vote but in exchange for the deputy speakership of the senate. Gosh. So I um, did some digging into his background and basically proved that he was corrupt. Um, and the government of John Howard, an infant government, was forced to say that it would no longer accept his vote. So the story actually changed the balance of power in the Senate, and um, uh, Colston, as a result, was charged. And um,
1: another risky, risky uh, article. Yeah, there was a lot of
0: um, there was a lot of hate around at that point. Not obviously from Colston himself, who I wasn't worried mm-hmm. about, but there was a lot of hate from the government too, because mm-hmm. they wanted his vote. Um, of course. But it also triggered. A big look into the expenses of many parliamentarians, and the government lost mm. a lot of mm. lot of skin over that. They lost a few ministers, and um,
1: mm.
0: the dominoes sort of started falling. So mm. there was there was that one, yeah. and just last year I won a Walkley Award for the, my coverage of Indigenous yes. history. So including that's the, the one I was the one yeah got. yeah. Yes. So so that was one article yes. um, in in that lot that contributed to that. The other one was I, I have a big thing about why the Australian War Memorial refuses to acknowledge frontier conflict, why it won't represent it in its its displays. Mm. So
1: So, uh, I guess the um, lesson for newly emerging writers and people who aspire to be great journalists is that it's not about vanilla writing, it's about being on the edge and taking those risks, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I I think it's um, being true to yourself, being honest and... um, Having, having a fairly strong sense of, um, you know, if you want to do this sort of work, then, then you've, you've got to do it. You don't pull your punches. And, and honestly, you're safer being out there with it than, than knowing something and not, not doing it. It's easier to live with yourself. Well, that's what I find anyway. Yes, yeah. yes.
1: So you're true to your own values. Yeah, absolutely. Um, what about political bias? Uh, how do you, as a journalist, how do you um, try not to be biased in a political sense, left wing, right wing? Or do you have to go with your your values and, and
0: um, lead one way I don't um, I don't write politics anymore and, and I haven't for six or eight years now in fact I haven't been a full-time journalist for six or eight years because I'm writing all this other stuff so I got to a point with covering politics where I was just absolutely exhausted by um, by the shadow puppetry by the lack of uh, substance in the debate and the coverage, and I felt like I wasn't changing it. I felt like I wasn't actually doing good as a journalist anymore. Um, Are you still very
1: disenchanted with the leadership?
0: I'm disenchanted terribly with, 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 with politics, which is mm. where the the novel came from. That's why I decided to address it in a novel. Um, but in terms of bias, when I when I was a, a political journalist, I, regardless of my own personal feelings, I sort of treated... Um, Tried to treat the policy debate on its merits, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if I always really succeeded, but... Yeah.
1: <laughs> there is a human element that creeps in there, There is, and it's a fine it? line, and and it's tough. Yeah, yeah. So, all right, let's get on to the political thriller yeah. challenge. Yeah. Tell me about the title. How did you come up with the title?
0: The title went through... Someone, Tim Fisher was asking about it before. Um, it went through a few iterations, really. I can't remember what some of the others were, but in the end... Challenge seemed like the right word to describe what was going on because this guy is facing a, a leadership challenge, but he's also got all these personal challenges. Um, he's got the challenge of trying to keep his marriage together, trying to keep his girlfriend happy. I know that sounds like a contradiction in terms.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Very interesting. <laughs> trying to
0: trying to keep his um his his kids happy, trying to keep his colleagues happy trying to stay sane. I mean, the guy is quite on on the edge of, of um, mental instability. So challenge just seemed like the right word in the end.
1: Sounds to me like a, a word that we would all relate to anyway. Yeah, but absolutely. Life's quite complicated, it isn't is. it? It is. And particularly if you're a, a politician. Crime and politics seem to seem to mingle, I think, <laughs> quite a bit. Um, tell us about the, the plot line here of challenge.
0: Sure. Um, the plot... It's not hugely thick on plot. It's no. it's, it's a lot of lot of character. characterisation, and, and you know it's interesting. The publishers, I don't know, bag my publisher, but the publishers called it a political thriller, and it's not really a genre book. I don't. I think it's more of a psychological profile of a guy under enormous pressure. But there is. It starts quite violently with an episode in the 1970s that um, relates to the character of the protagonist, Danny Slattery, and then it fast forward to now, and it covers sort of two and a half, three days in his life where his marriage is falling apart, he's facing this imminent challenge, there's a lot of nasty stuff around about his background that relates to that violent episode at the beginning, and it's about how he's trying to traverse this. And, you know, he's a guy, he's, he's totally fed up with his own political party and the kind of um, vacuum of meaning in politics, and he's decided, look, he's crash or crash through, and he's going to tell the truth.
1: Right. If so that has to be the backdrop of what's happening in politics in Australia today, would it be? Well, it's
0: it kind of resonates, doesn't it? Yeah. It Does yeah. indeed, yeah. indeed.
1: Perhaps you wrote it before; it resonated so much.
0: I did. You know, one of the it's prophetic. One of, one of the themes in it is um, national security and how how political leaders, you know, throw the switch to a national security crisis when they're personally under threat. And we've now I finished this book in I don't know. February 2014 Um, and suddenly we're sort of into this phase now where we've got a leader under threat and you know terrorism is always there where we're sort of suddenly seeing the need for um, more legislation to deal with terrorism which is what happens in the book Uh, and we're deploying more troops to Iraq um, when we were party to an invasion of Iraq that totally wrecked that country, you know, 10 years ago for the wrong reason. So, you know, these themes do come up again and again and they're kind of, they're, they're not quite perennial, but they come up every few years, you know, mm, so... Mm.
1: So there's the political backdrop, but it sounds to me more like a psychological thriller than, than po- political. I, th-
0: I think it is. I mean, you know, the guy's a, the guy's a politician and that has unique pressures mm. because you've kind of got to keep a party which is afraid, um, happy, and the party wants him to be a small target. He wants to be himself and tell the truth and not frighten people and not play the politics of fear, but it really is... It's a first-person narrative, so it is about what's going on in his head, and I tried to sort of... um, uh, write as well as I could thought processes so you know there's no quotation marks in this book it's right. it just it's
1: just first person way through mm. it sounds wonderful um, so it sounds like there's a lot of pace to the novel and, yeah uh, and uh, when you've got the psychological through sure. that's what happens um, so challenge is is something that's that's going well for you at the moment are you working on the next book is there is there something in the pipeline
0: yeah, that there is um, there is a contract for the next one in this series um and i haven't quite decided i am going to do that book but it's not the next book i'm going to do at this stage i'm so i'm currently working on another book which is in the um uh the black white space so black and white politics and and history and now so um i'm really looking at at
1: are you talking about
0: non-fiction here? Or no, a... no, t- no, no, talking about fiction. Yeah, yeah. So, I, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm <laughs> writing a novel on, um, you know, that has an element of indigenous history, but looks at looks at how that resonates today in a fictitious community in northern Australia. So, as part of that, I've just um, spent another week up in northeast Arnhem Land. And, wow! And yeah, I'll be so going back what, again. So, what
1: first attracted you to writing about um, indigenous issues?
0: It's um, it's a really good question, actually. The, the fallout from the Besheba book did. I I started thinking, well, here, here am I writing about what Australian men on horseback have done to um, the indigenous of another place, that is Palestine, by massacring uh, Bedouin and, and Arab villages. And someone said, hey, you know, you realise there's very strong parallels between what they did there and what the settlers did, you know, post 1788 in Australia and it just got me thinking and then it's a pretty recent thing to to be honest then I started doing some journalism on you know the massacres and the body parts and that sort of thing and really I just feel like it's something I need sort of almost morally to keep to keep prizing it, you know.
1: So, Paul, these all these things that you're writing about, are there, there's there's a real negative element here. Are you affected emotionally by some of these things that have happened? You um, know, it's very hard with the media today not to be depressed. Yeah. Um, and as a writer, digging these things up, does it affect you emotionally, or can you no, separate? I, I can. Place? I
0: can separate it. I, I feel liberated by it in a way. I feel liberated by. Giving light to some of these things, I am depressed by other things um, that that happen now, like you know the fact that these two two Australian men are about to be executed potentially in Indonesia. You know, I I worry about things like that, I, yes. and I actually feel like um, my work is to is to shine light on this dark stuff. So I don't carry it with with me heavily on must yes.
1: yes, it is it is something that. Um writers need to be aware of and journalists i suppose you know going into really dangerous zones and seeing horrendous i think i have been
0: affected by that in the past because i've done a lot of conflict reporting and 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 a lot of my friends have too and i know a lot of people who are diagnosed or undiagnosed with ptsd so it it is a it is an issue for more for journalists i think
1: and so have you ever been um Tempted to write something frivolous, Paul. <laughs> just wondering, you know, just some sort of little—I don't know—a little romance <laughs> story, or. or you know, it's
0: yeah. it's a good question, isn't it? And and you know, something I something
1: about a dog. I know you've got a dog.
0: I, I love you? I do. I love writing about. I love <laughs> tweeting about my dogs, you know, and writing writing on Facebook about them. <laughs> yeah, I. I wish I'd known that question was coming. I I um, I did a short story recently, and it was you know another one, and it was published and. Again, the material was pretty heavy. It was about um, the generational impact of war. It was told in a woman's voice, um, but maybe I should lighten up a bit. Eh? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's just an idea. of yeah. putting it out there. Yeah, yeah, good idea. And how how um, are your family? Do you, any of your children following in the writer's writer's footsteps? Um,
0: my sixteen year old son is a really good, really good writer and a good reader. I don't. I've no idea what he's going to do. Um, he's multilingual and he's a really interesting kid my eldest daughter is uh, is a lawyer she does um, family court work um my youngest daughter who's uh only nine is um she's an artist and uh and a writer um my wife's a journalist so you know who knows what <laughs> You're surrounded the, by I, <laughs> I am i am who knows what the kids will do you know but i'd encourage them if they wanted to
1: what about um, making films? Have you have you been tempted to write a script for a movie or or, uh, or a documentary? Or...
0: Um, yeah, I've thought about doc- documentary, and I, and I I've done um, I, I co wrote a play a couple of years ago, again in the in the in the political space. Um, I think that screenwriting is a really particular um, skill, and I, it's not one that. I aspire to because I just don't think I've got the goods to do it. It's not the way I think. Yeah. Um, I'd love to see you know some of what I've written adapted at some point. I really I think um, I think the novel challenge would be great for you yes. know TV or or screen um, documentary. Absolutely, um, I would really in the future like to like. To um, work in that documentary space, particularly on some of this history stuff I've done. Yeah, yeah. Well,
1: yeah. the bones. I mean, I just I can just see that as a documentary. It, I as, think it is. Know, yeah, yeah. Um, something, something to look at.
0: Yeah,
1: um, Paul, I just want to know what you do when you're not writing and you're not reading. Yeah, right. What do you do to relax?
0: Um, I'm a big walker. Like oh. I, I walk because I live in Canberra, and Canberra is surrounded by bush. I walk in the hills every day with my with my two dogs, with my two black girl Labradors. Um, <laughs> I am very connected to um, to the home and family. Mm-hmm. Like I, I do travel a fair bit for my work, but when mm-hmm. I'm at home, I love being there uh, in the yes. afternoons and evenings for my kids. And I like to cook, so I do I do oh, I, I do, do that. Um, okay. I like to. Um, you know, go to the movies, I surf, yep. I'm, I'm a surfer still. Oh,
1: right, a surfer boy. Um, and uh, in winter I always... Did you, I you always... didn't grow up in Canberra, did you? No, no, no I, grew in... up, oh. I grew up
0: in Melbourne, um, oh, right. but uh, also living in Canberra, you know, close to the beautiful the coast. The coast, I was just thinking, and we used
1: to have all the surfer boys and go down the south and, coast, and coast. Yeah, absolutely,
0: and I, I ski too, so I oh, ne- right. ne- never miss a winter skiing. yeah. Okay.
1: Um, so, about your reading. Mm. Um, I know all writers read prolifically. <laughs> what would have been the last book you read that really you thought was fabulous?
0: Um, probably a few people have said this. I, I liked uh, Richard Flanagan's uh, Long Road very, very much because I just I thought it was um, just a superbly evocative piece of piece of writing awesome. that drew sort of. Um, disparate elements of the past together, it told a great historical story but through it his father. Through which his father was, a, yeah, yeah. It was a
1: very strong connection. And it was so. a, um,
0: it was a, it was a great love story too. And because love's yeah. not neat, you know. And no, definitely not. And uh, so that that was that was a fantastic um, book. I um, I read a um, book by Lily King, Euphoria. Over, over, over. Christmas that was absolutely superior it was based on the life of um, uh, Margaret Mead the anthropologist oh right the anthropologist yeah, it was just, interesting it was just she was
1: a very interesting uh, sociologist wasn't she yeah uh, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay so again you're looking at non-fiction <laughs> do you oh well I suppose the next book I'm is. doing is fiction so is it? yeah right, yeah, right, yeah. Right, right, yeah. Right. no I'm talking about what you're reading oh yeah, yeah. well there, no there. that was
0: fiction that was a novel that was a novel. Yeah, right, yeah. Right, the the okay. Lily King was a novel, yeah, and it, yeah. w- it was just based on her, her life, but right. different, d- yeah. you know, different names for the yes. characters. Yeah.
1: And and you said your wife's a journalist. Yeah. That that must help a lot because uh, writers are often quite dysfunctional.
0: <laughs>
1: the, are they not? <laughs> they are completely.
0: I mean, it's you know, my whole family yeah. always yeah. knows what I'm writing, yeah. and they know when I'm in you know, towards the end of a manuscript, they know that I'm, that, I'm, that I'm shitty and that I'm angry and that I'm impatient. I'm not necessarily a good father or a partner. And they're very patient. My wife is, um, you know, a very successful front-end political journalist and, and um, she's got super demanding hours, but she does understand, you know, the the, the process. But it's a bit of a yin and a yang because I'm there in the afternoons you know, to make Mm. sure the house is ticking over and the kids are okay and she's there always when I've got to travel for my writing. It works really well. And of course
1: she can understand you because she's in the same field. I think if you're not that's that's where the pressures lie. And you know,
0: she's a great critic of mine too. She reads what I write and she gives me fantastic feedback on it. Great. You do that for her too? I sort of, sometimes I do, yeah. Uh, Her demands are more daily. Yes. You know, so she's yes. she runs one of the bureaus for for the Guardian Australia in Parliament House. So wow. she's very um, job. She's she's got a pretty demanding job. When she's writing longer pieces, she'll sometimes ask me for you know for advice. You know?
1: So is your lifestyle much better now that you're out of that sort
0: of yeah. <laughs> arena? Yeah, look, it is. Um, when we were both doing it and we had very young kids, it was really hard because um, you know the time of day that newspapers go to bed is when children gotta to go to bed so you know we would sometimes both be stuck there at 6pm saying okay who's gonna pick the kids up who's gonna to give tonight so i think we're we're much happier people now that
1: luckily children grow up and understand
0: <laughs> yeah they, they do i mean they might write a book about us one day yeah, yeah well <laughs> you never know
1: that's that's on the cards you've just given them the idea so <laughs> that's fantastic All right, Paul, now I, you know, we have a lot of um, new emerging writers here uh, listening to this, so what advice, actually give yourself the advice, uh, you know, the young Paul Daly just leaving school, just about to start his career as a journalist and writer, knowing everything you know now, because hindsight's great, (laughs) what would you tell yourself?
0: Um, Do it with absolute passion, Um, be true to yourself and... um, You know, really put in the yards. And when you're writing books, if it's not coming, just keep writing, keep at it, and write every day and be structured. Structure is really, really, really important.
1: Yeah, that's a really good piece of advice. And I haven't heard that for a while, so I'm really glad you said that. Um, The other thing is that, of course, the hard work. uh, There's a lot of romantic notions about writing on a beach. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Do you you relate to that romantic notion or do you think it's not really like that?
0: Not at all. I think it's not really like that. I think it it can be terribly solitary, lonely, cold, hard work. You know, when I'm writing in the depths of winter in Canberra and I'm getting up at 6am to force myself to go to my desk when I don't want to write, um, it's really hard. I mean, if I could um, sit on a beach and do it, I would, but I don't think that's the way to do it. I think you've got to have a bit of pain to, to, to make it work in a way. You've got to suffer for it a bit.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you very, very much. I um, really enjoyed this, and I think that there's so many tidbits here that, that our, our listeners are going to be able to pick up on. No and I would definitely suggest everybody runs out and buys this book called Challenge. Um, political thriller comes psychological thriller. And where can they get it, Paul? Every good bookshop? Yeah, every good
0: bookshop should, should have it, and it's available online too. So, there yeah.
1: you go. And Canberra has many good bookshops yeah, Indeed, we're very <laughs> blessed. Yeah. Thank you very much, Paul. Thanks,
0: my Fabulous. pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this podcast from au. And if you are a reader or a writer, then hop on over to our website and subscribe.